Well, good morning, Hillcrest. So good to be here with you this morning. Uh, As Pastor Nate said, my name is Lexi Lang. I'm the lead pastor of Engaged Church. We are a micro church movement planted by the covenant over on the Missouri side. Uh, And we have micro expressions of church meeting around the city. And we believe just in intentional small gatherings and how we can be discipled in that way. And then we go out inspired by Jesus to impact our city and the world together. And then uh, we have about 15,000 people each month who tune into our online content. And so obviously we were launched in COVID. We know how to do online ministry fairly well at Engage. So that is us. Um, I have had the opportunity to come here and speak at Hillcrest, I think about three times over the past a few years, and so I consider you friends. And so in light of that, I'm just going to get right into it. I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable, be a little bit brutally honest right out of the gate. While much of the rest of the world was learning how to bake bread in COVID restrictions, I already knew how to make bread. I'm fairly good at it, if I do say so myself. Instead, during that time, I was learning that I came from a family of of monsters. This is the reality that I came to terms with. And no, my mother was not a vampire, although she is a night owl. It's hard to get her to go to sleep at night. My dad was not Frankenstein, although he bears some similarities, in my opinion, to Dr. Frankenstein. The reality is that my family of origin, my birth family, the family that I was born into, Uh, is dysfunctional, to say the least. It wasn't great. And the adult, kind of middle-aged me, who is trying to uh, messily parent teenagers, has some compassion on my parents. Uh, And I think they were young, and my mom really tried. But over the past few years, I've spent some time in therapy processing through the impact of my upbringing on myself and my sister, and I can now look back over, gosh, 17 years of marriage and the way that we've raised our children along the way with hiccups that we've encountered that I thought were just other people's problems. And I can see now that some shadows have been following me along the way. I can see bad habits and beliefs about other people and beliefs about God that I have picked up because of my experiences. And to steal the words of Taylor Swift, who was recently here in town, it's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me. You see, my shadows helped form the lens through which I see the world. And the reality is that most of us cannot help but see the world through the lens of our experience. It's just the way that we are wired. And my experience was that fathers were distant. They were quick to leave. They were emotionally, if not physically, abusive, hurtful. And now, while none of these things are true of my husband, who Nathan sometimes helps lead worship here, none of those are true of my husband. Every once in a while, my lenses will go up and I get a little suspicious of other people around me. These lenses that we walk around with, we don't just use them for other people, though. We use them for God. So it's important to consider what lenses we put on each day as we head out into the world. 
Throughout scripture, we see opportunities for people to look and see who God is, and sometimes they get it. I think of when Jesus spoke to Simon Peter in Matthew 16, and Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And the broken lenses of the world fell away from Peter's eyes. And Jesus says that God revealed that to Simon Peter. Dear friends, if God were here in our midst, I believe that God is in our midst this morning, and he was standing right in front of you, and he asked, who do you say that I am? What is my nature? What would you say? What words are popping into your mind right now about the nature of God? Because this question holds immense significance, not only in the context of the New Testament, but in the context of our everyday lives. It compels us to examine our understanding of God and the depth of our relationship with him. And to shed a little light on this and uh, human nature, if you will, we're going to delve into this fascinating story of Jephthah, which can be found in Judges 10 through 12. Uh, We're going to encounter Jephthah and his just flawed perception of the nature of God and the consequences of that. When we pick up in Judges 10, we find the Israelites were back in this cycle of worshiping false gods. You know, we, we think we're back on track, and then right back into it, we start worshiping false gods, the, the, the gods of their neighbors. And the Lord is irritated with the Israelites. He is no longer willing to rescue them from their situations because um, he doesn't feel like they are authentically sorry for their actions. As tends to be the case, uh, the Israelites are worshiping the gods of another nation, and that nation is going to try to take them over. And eventually, uh, when we, we pick up with them in Judges 10, the people cry out to God, and they're like, sorry, God, please come save us. And he says, no, I'm not going to do it. Michael Wilcox explains, the Lord is saying, I know what this cry of yours is. It's merely a cry for help which might just as well be addressed to the Baals, those false gods, as to me. In other words, you are sorry for the consequences of your actions. You are not sorry for what you did. If you're a parent, have you ever said that to your children? You're sorry you got caught, right? You're not sorry that you did whatever it was. Then the next time they cried out to God, though, they actually got rid of the false idols. And um, God chose to respond to them because they could see repentant hearts followed up with action steps to move towards the God of the Israelites. So as a result, the Israelites go recruit a man to be their leader and judge called Jephthah. Now, Jephthah was a mighty warrior who was living in the land of Tob because his family ran him out of Gilead where the Israelites were living. Talk about a dysfunctional family. Jephthah's mom was a prostitute, and his half-brothers were concerned that he was going to inherit what his father had, and so they exiled him. And while Jephthah was in Tob, in exile, he becomes the leader of a gang of scoundrels. So if we just quickly recap this, he is a mob boss. He's a complete outcast living in a foreign land. And this is who the Israelites want to lead them into battle and to be their judge. This is their selection. And like anyone who has rejection issues, I could see 
myself responding in a similar way as Jephthah when the Israelite leaders go to get him from Tob. So here we are in Judges 11, 7. The Israelite leaders are like, hey, you need to come be our leader. Help us out here because God wants to take down the Ammonites. And Jephthah says, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? So why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? And essentially, the Israelite leaders say, yes, 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 we did that, but we need you now. And so again, Jephthah pushes back. He's like, this is a little bit sus. I don't know. I don't think you actually want me. Judges 11.9 says, well, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your leader? The Israelites assure him that he will be their leader. So he decides to go back with them uh, and he reaches out to the Ammonite king. It says the spirit of God comes upon him. And he gives this whole history of the territory to the Ammonite king. He explains why this land is rightfully belonging to the Israelites. And this argument is good. It is historical. It's theological. It's legal in nature. Obviously, the Spirit of God is working through Jephthah in this moment. But the Ammonite king is not interested in this argument. So if you have your Bibles, grab them out, or you have your phones, you have your apps, let's go to Judges 11, verses 28 through 39, and see the account. So the king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message Jephthah sent him. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, if you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering." Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Ur to the vicinity of Mineth, as far as Abel, Kerimim. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of the timbrels? She was an only child, except for her he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and he cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised. Now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. You may go, he said. And he let her go for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. And after two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as he vowed, and she was a virgin. My friends, this is a devastating, terrible story. The Bible Project, which I know you guys have been using, it puts the Israelites' behavior in Judges on a scale from okay to bad to worse. And this story falls in the bad Range is, is bad. It's terrible, the conduct in this story. Jephthah, the leader of Israel, is so out of touch with the God of Israel that he promises a human sacrifice. Yeah? Not only have we been in this cycle of worshiping false gods, we're, we're now back on track, but then 
Their leader is out of touch with the nature of God. He's looking at God through his personal inaccurate lenses. He's got the baggage of broken relationships. He wonders, hey, can I really trust that God will come through for me if I don't promise him something in return? Does God really care about this? Because my history tells me that people don't really care and will abandon me. Will God do the same? And then there's the whole worship of false gods that's been in the context of the Israelites and then where he was living in Tob. Now, we know that uh, Hebrew law says we don't do human sacrifice. Deuteronomy 12.31 says human sacrifice is detestable and something that the Lord hates. But Jephthah was so ingrained in the culture here. It's a culture of violence, worship, of false gods. And these false gods required lavish sacrifices. Jephthah didn't know the true nature of God. He treated him like a Canaanite God who required human sacrifice. Tim Keller said this about the book of Judges. He says, the book of Judges is about the grace of God. It's about God offering his grace to people who don't deserve it, who do not seek it, and they don't appreciate it once they get it. And it's also about our need for a savior. You see, God's grace was already present for Israel and for Jephthah. In Judges 10, 16, and 11, 29, we see that God had already decided to save Israel, and he was going to use Jephthah to do it. He didn't need human sacrifice. He just needed Jephthah and the Israelites to surrender wholeheartedly to him. Jephthah's flawed perception of God is further manifested in the fact that rather just than just repenting for his misguided understanding of God that resulted in that oath being taken or that vow being taken, he just gets mad, right? Because his, he feels like his honor is probably on the line. Jephthah is just trapped in this mistrust and misunderstanding of God, And as we reflect on Jephthah's story today, I think we must reflect on our own understanding of God. Do we truly understand the nature of God? Do we understand his character? Do we know that God requires mercy, not sacrifice, as it says in Hosea 6.6? Do we know that he's a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness to us? And those around us, do we see him as a tyrant or a loving God? Do we see him as an absent father or do we see him as Abba Father who draws near to us to care for us? Perhaps we, like Jephthah, sometimes project our limited perceptions onto him. Do we look at our own earthly fathers and wonder if God is that way? Do we look at the poor behavior of Christians throughout the ages, over the centuries, and believe that that is the nature of God? I think at times our shadows might be following us. At times we haven't kept our false perceptions of who God is in check. We have lenses over our eyes when we look at God and his nature. It is crucial that we build our understanding of God on the firm foundation of his word, allowing his truths to shape our beliefs and our actions. And that comes through studying scripture 
And it comes through prayer, spending time with God, getting to know him better. And it's the same way with people, right? How can you know someone unless you spend time with that individual? We must spend time in scripture. We must spend time in prayer, getting to know the nature of God better so we can peel back those lenses day by day. I'd love to tell you this is a one-time thing. It is not. It has to be a day-by-day thing. A friend shared with me the other day his experience uh, with a church that was preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And they decided, well, Jesus was preaching this as a sermon, so why don't we just preach it as a sermon? And so they pulled out the message version of the Bible, and they decided to just read through the Sermon on the Mount. And a little bit through the message, a guy in the back gets up, stands up with his family and says, I have had enough of this liberal crap. We are leaving. And he marches out. Friends, these are the actual words of Jesus. How well do we know the actual words of Jesus? Because a lot is at stake. Do we know the nature of the Father? Are we familiar with his words? Let me take us back to that question that Jesus posed to Simon Peter in Matthew 16. Who do you say that I am? Are you familiar with me? Who do you say that he is today? What is his nature? Simon Peter said he is the Messiah. He is the Savior. I don't know what words are popping into your mind right now. But I think there are times when we need to rip off the lenses that we have on. And I would encourage you today to consider what is the hardest thing for you to believe about the nature of of God. I have a practice that I began uh, last year, and it's been so helpful for me. Every morning, and sometimes multiple times throughout rough days, I ask myself a question. I say, do you believe in the God who raises the dead to life? Do you believe that? Because if I believe that, that changes the trajectory of the day. I want and I need to believe in the God who raises the dead physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. So I ask myself that every day. Do I believe this? How am I going to live out that I believe this? So what's difficult for you to believe today? What sort of lenses do you need to pull off of your eyes today to see God for who God really is? As we move into a time of worship, I want to invite you to just spend a little time in prayer and reflection Perhaps consider writing yourself a question to ask every day. Do I believe dot, dot, dot? Do I believe in the God of miracles? Do I believe in a God of hope, joy, healing? Because I believe you can believe in a God who performs miracles, who shows radical mercy, who shows up injustice, who raises the dead to life and and seemingly dead situations to life because he has revealed that that is his nature through his actions. We just have to take off those faulty lenses and see God for who God really is. Friends, the account of Jephthah, it's a hard story. It really is, but I think it reminds us of the the dangers of misinterpreting God's nature and treating him as if he were a deity of our own making with our own nature. Let's learn from Jephthah's mistakes 
and strive for a deep, intimate knowledge of who God is. And may we align our revelation with our understanding of Jesus Christ. Who do we say that he is? May our answer be one that flows from a heart transformed by Jesus' grace, by his love and truth. Amen. Come on, if he's been good, just give him 10 more seconds of your biggest praise. Because he's good, because he's mighty, because he's conquered sin and death, he's conquered the grave on your behalf, he's paid for it all, church. We're so grateful for what he's done. We're so grateful that we get to worship him and honor him in this time. Church, I wanna invite us to do something a little different. I invite you right now, lift your hands like you're receiving something just like this. I need everyone to repeat after me. Say, Father, I invite your son Jesus into my life. Come and do what only you can do. Forgive me of my sin and give me wisdom for the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, congratulations, you've been welcomed into heaven's family. The angels are rejoicing. And here at Hillcrest, we wanna celebrate that with you. So if you prayed that prayer for the first time, right after service, we wanna meet you here at the altar. We wanna pray for you. If you're online and you just prayed that prayer for the first time, we wanna meet you where you are in your faith journey. We wanna pray for you, so comment, let us know. We wanna, we wanna show up for you and we wanna be there for you. Now, church, if you've been looking for a church home, welcome home. Thank you so much for joining us here at Hillcrest this lovely Sunday. We just wanna give you a quick blessing as we see you guys out. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you, make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. Hillcrest, we love you so much and we can't wait to see you again in a week. Go and be great. Have a great rest of your week, guys. Thanks.